uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the book of Psalms, a couple weeks in the book of Proverbs, and that means we've been away from the book of Acts for a long time. Uh, where we left off in the book of Acts was the stoning of Stephen. He was sharing God's truth with people they didn't want to hear, and they decided to put it into it. And Stephen is stoned and left for dead. And today we're going to pick up uh, with what follows after that. Our passage for today is Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let's ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for this passage that shows that the early church, yes, they faced persecution, but they said, we're going to do something positive with that. And they went and they shared the gospel wherever they went. God, please encourage us by what we hear from you today to do the same thing. Even if we stay in our own homes, uh, in our own schools, in our own workplaces, let us be encouraged to have that kind of faith to share the gospel as well. I pray that, God, you give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought to say what it is that you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So what motivates you to action? What motivates you to move? Looks like this guy here, if you look at this picture, looks like he's motivated to run for his life. Looks to me like there's a train chasing him. You know, I told you guys last week that this is the difference between me and my brother, right? You guys remember my cheesy little swords, and this is the kind of stuff you get with him. As well, I'm not sure exactly what is going on. I don't know if that's a, there's cars or if it's a train, but this guy's motivated to move because he wants to live. Some people are motivated by fear. Some people are motivated by fame and fortune. Whatever it is to make me that next buck, whatever it is to keep my name in lights, that's what I'm going to do. Some people are motivated by love. I was motivated by love once. That sounds like my dad. <laughs> or you can call it selfishness, whatever you decide. You probably will decide selfishly. But uh, when I went to Bible school, uh, there was this girl that I wanted to go out with. And I was motivated by fear. I was afraid that if I asked her out, she would say no. And so it took me two weeks before I actually got up the courage. And what motivated me to action was hearing that she wasn't going to go back to Moody the following year. And so I decided to ask her out for her birthday. Now she'll tell you that it wasn't a date, but I'll tell you that I married her. So I, I count it as the, <laughs> as the first date. Today we're going to be looking at a motivation to move, and for the early church it was perse uh, persecution, and it motivated the early church to move and leave Jerusalem and to settle elsewhere. So let me say this, read this one more time, our, our verse, first three verses talking about how the church was motivated to move. Again, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Now, the, the early church, this is... It's, it's a very young church. You know, it started out very, very small. You had the disciples, you had some women and some other believers in an upstairs room. Well, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Anybody remember how many people got saved? Someone almost said it. 
3,000 people got saved. So this church went from this size to all of a sudden this size. Uh, and then as in Acts chapter 2, we saw also that the early church was practicing uh, what the five, or they're participating in the five practices of the early church that we looked at. They, they went to church. They fellowship with other believers. They broke bread in the church and outside with other believers. They were praying and they were evangelizing, which just led to the church growing that much bigger each each day. More people came to the church when Peter preached it, at, or uh, when Peter healed uh, a, a man lame from birth in Acts chapter 3. More people said, what is this that's going on? And they wanted to be a part of this. And then the church didn't stop growing, even through Acts chapter 4 and 5, when the apostles were being persecuted. The church kept growing. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have kind of getting their stomach full of this. Uh, when it came uh, to Stephen, they, they just stoned him to death. But that wasn't enough for a man by the name of Saul. Saul was a Pharisee at the time, and he had in mind that I am pretty much single-handedly going to stop the, this Christian faith. It says in verse 3 in the King James Version that he was wreaking havoc. or not. It just says that he was causing havoc among the church. That word means to, it describes a wild animal mangling its prey. It wasn't just enough to kill the animal. It was trying to destroy every ounce of this animal to make sure that it is completely gone. And that's kind of what Saul's trying to do. He's trying to completely destroy this church. He doesn't want any part of this church left to survive and to, to spur up once again uh, in the future. And that was his goal. He's making himself known as the world's greatest persecutor of Christians. Though if you know the story of, Paul, of Saul, he later becomes Paul and becomes the greatest missionary of that time. But he doesn't know that yet. And in Paul's writing, he talks a little bit about this time in his life when he's trying to destroy the church. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he calls himself a persecutor. Several times through the book of Acts, we will slowly look at those as we go through. He's, he's, he's uh, going through the same situation. Um, and I don't have the correct slideshow. Anyway... Um, Anyway, through let me let me just go to Acts chapter twenty six verses nine through eleven, and it talks about what he what he did as as Paul the persecutor. Acts chapter twenty six verses nine to eleven. He says, "I too was convinced that I ought to do everything that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison." He's, he's going to put them in prison. He said, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blasphemy. Uh, blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul's goal, his aim, his purpose, his drive at this moment was to completely eliminate the early church. And because of this persecution that Paul was performing, was carrying out amongst the people, these people had a decision that they had to make. You know, because Paul's going from door to door, asking, trying to decide or figure out who here is one of these Christians, who is one of these people who is trying to, who is trying to, uh, 
Pro, tell people about Jesus. And, and, and when, the, when, the door, when the door opened, when they came to Saul, he, they would have to say, yes, I'm a Christian. And if that was the case, they would then face persecution, hauled off to jail, have, have someone vote against them to put them to death. Or they could say, no, I don't believe in this Jesus and denounce their faith, which was something that Paul was trying to get them to do. And probably I would assume that the opportunity came up for them to turn in someone else that's another believer in Christ. Saul's going to want to make his life easy. He's not going to want to go from door to door. If I know specific doors to go to, I want to go that route. I assume that's probably what Saul did when he's trying to a persecute Christian. And as a result of his going from door to door, it says the early church scattered. It was dispersed as, was, as in sowing throughout, as dis, uh, distributing to a foreign land. And what makes this, thank you, and what makes this persecution uh, so great was it, it was kind of fulfilling what scripture says. You know, if you look here at this little star, you have it placed with where they're at right now is in Jerusalem. And they're all there and they are supposed to be going Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's where it stopped. We're, we're witnessing in Jerusalem. We're doing what we're supposed to do here. But it doesn't look like anybody's going anywhere else. And because of that persecution, they were willing to spread out a little bit to go to uh, uh, Judea, which is below where Jerusalem is located, and then up to Samaria. And because of this persecution, they were scattered throughout the earth. And I can't prove this, but in my mind, trying to look at the background of the story or think through this, I would, I would wager that God put it on the hearts of some of those people that, hey, I would like you to move. I don't want you to just stay in Jerusalem. I would like you to go to Judea. I'd like you to go to Samaria. I'd like you to go somewhere else and be a missionary and tell people about me. But everybody was so comfortable in their own homes. They were, they, they were comfortable in their church with every believer that's already here. They, were, they had their family and friends around. People had stability, a stable way of life. I have my job. I have my, my neighbors. I have my comfort zone. And so I bet a lot of people said, I'm going to stay here. God can send somebody else. I'm going to stay here. But God knew how to motivate the early church. He knew how to move them from one place to another. Well, guess what? God knows how to motivate churches today. He knows how to motivate Plumna Baptist Church, the E-Free Church, the, all the mega churches, every church around the world. God knows what it's going to take to motivate them to do something else. You know, one church might be motivated to start a kids program because through through the grapevine, they start hearing about the troubled kids in the neighborhood. So after school, they say, we're going to create a place for kids to come and or we're going to start in a water program or something else that's going to give kids something to do to stay out of trouble. Now, had they never heard that, they probably wouldn't have seen the need and started to do that. Another church might be moved to uh, to get online. To start a, because of COVID, they might start developing social media. All of a sudden, they have their YouTube program. All of a sudden, they have a radio program. But it might motivate people in the church to start taking tabs, taking care of each other. You know, throughout the week, I don't see people, so I don't know who's sick, and I don't know why people are gone. It might motivate people to start looking out for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Another church, probably happening 
and this is probably more of a real life example than we think, um, might be starting a food pantry or a shelter because of an influx of refugees coming into their community. They say all of a sudden there are a lot of people that are in need and instead of saying, no, we're going to just stay in our church, they say, how can we reach these people? And God can use that as a catalyst to move them to, to be missionaries to the world around them. But God knows how to move you individually as well. Uh, this is one thing that just thrills me to death about what came out of COVID. Uh, in Davenport, they didn't have sports for about a year and a half, way longer than we didn't have sports. And you know, kids, they need something to do all year round, right? You get bored going to school and going home. Well, because there was no sports, the youth group started to grow. Because there was no sports, the workers in Awana became so many that there's like almost way too many kids that want to help in Awana because they need something to do. And those kids never would have come into the church to help in Awana had it not been for COVID. Had it not been for everything else being stopped, they never would have come. And I just pray that right now in Davenport, as life is getting back to normal, that those kids say, hey, I still want to help in Awana. Hey, I still want to go to youth group. Hey, I still want to be involved in these church events. And so something good came out of this in someone's life because God worked in their life specifically. God knows how to work in relationships. You know, there's a boy and a girl who are getting too cozy, too comfortable. God might say, you know what, I know how to stop that. I might motivate this to stop by making one person move, by making the other person, making both parties move. It might be an, uh, an address change. God, God motivated me to change my address. You know, it was 419 Maxwell, Davenport, Washington. Now it's 311 North 1st Street, Plevna, Montana. God motivated me. He says, uh, through a friend, he, he got me the information about this church. And it was a church that... We, we liked and it was enough to say, okay, I'm going to move like seven or 800 miles away from my family because God says, I want you to be here. He motivated us to change our address. And God can and will do whatever it takes to move you. The question is, do you want to take the easy road? Because I bet a lot of those people had heard the easy road. Hey, go to these places. That's the easy way. God just putting it on your heart and mind and saying, go. But they waited for the hard road. When God had to eliminate something, he had to give them persecution to finally kick them out the door. God knows how to move. It's just a matter of, are you willing to move with the easy road? So point number one, persecution moved the church. They weren't moving on their own. God says, here, let me help you. I'm going to move you because you won't choose to move yourself. But persecution also grew the church. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Pretty exciting. You know, I bet that was a pretty difficult thing to do. It took, in order for this church to grow, in order for this church to get out there, it took people having the courage to share. Now, imagine, imagine them, they're going to a new town. They're going to a new surrounding. There's new people. They're on somebody else's turf. That's a scary place to be. Even if you're just moving, I'm sure to be a teacher at school was kind of scary on somebody else's turf. Coming as a, a pastor to this town, it wasn't my turf. I didn't grow up here my whole life. It's uncomfortable. And now all of a sudden, they're being forced. They don't have a job. They don't have a house. They don't have anything. And they're, they're being pushed into a new surrounding. It took the courage to share, uh, for them to share. But it also took 
something else that they probably didn't plan or think about was they were prepared before this point. They had been faithfully going to church. They had been faithfully listening to the apostles' teaching and to fellowshipping with each other and breaking bread together. So they were, they were getting trained and prepped for this without even realizing it. But the fact is that it had he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. Now, the, the early church, this is... It's, it's a very young church. You know, it started out very, very small. You had the disciples. You had some women and some other believers in an upstairs room. Well, Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Anybody remember how many people got saved? Someone almost said it. 3,000 people got saved. So this church went from this size to all of a sudden this size. Uh, and then as in Acts chapter 2, we saw also that the early church was practicing uh, what the five, or they're participating in the five practices of the early church that we looked at. They, they went to church. They fellowshiped with other believers. They broke bread in the church and outside with other believers. They were praying and they were evangelizing, which just led to the church growing that much bigger each each day more people came to the church when peter preached it at, or uh, when peter healed uh, a, a man lame from birth in acts chapter 3 more people said what is this that's going on and they wanted to be a part of this and then the church didn't stop growing even through acts chapter 4 and 5 when the apostles were being persecuted the church kept growing and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have kind of getting their stomach full of this. Uh, when it came uh, to Stephen, they, they just stoned him to death. But that wasn't enough for a man by the name of Saul. Saul was a Pharisee at the time, and he had in mind that I am pretty much single-handedly going to stop the, this Christian faith. It says in verse 3 in the King James Version that he was wreaking havoc. or not. It just says that he was causing havoc among the church. That word means to, it describes a wild animal mangling its prey. It wasn't just enough to kill the animal. It was trying to destroy every ounce of this animal to make sure that it is completely gone. And that's kind of what Saul's trying to do. He's trying to completely destroy this church. He doesn't want any part of this church left to survive and to, to spur up once again uh, in the future. And that was his goal. He's making himself known as the world's greatest persecutor of Christians. Though if you know the story of, Paul, of Saul, he later becomes Paul, becomes the greatest missionary of that time. But he doesn't know that yet. And in Paul's writing, he talks a little bit about this time in his life when he's trying to destroy the church. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he calls himself a persecutor. Several times through the book of Acts, we will slowly look at those as we go through. He's, he's, he's uh, going through the same situation. Um, and I don't have the correct slideshow. Anyway, um, Anyway, through let me let me just go to Acts chapter twenty six verses nine through eleven, and it talks about what he what he did as as Paul the persecutor. Acts chapter twenty six verses nine to eleven. He says, "I too was convinced that I ought to do everything that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison." 
He's, he's going to put them in prison. He said when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blasphemy. Uh, blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul's goal, his aim, his purpose, his drive at this moment was to completely eliminate the early church. And because of this persecution that Paul was performing, was carrying out amongst the people, these people had a decision that they had to make. You know, because Paul's going from door to door, asking, trying to decide or figure out who here is one of these Christians, who is one of these people who is trying to, who is trying to, uh, Tell people about Jesus, and 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 when the, when the door when the door opened when they came to Saul, he, they would have to say yes, I'm a Christian, and if that was the case, they would then face persecution, hauled off to jail, have have someone vote against them to put them to death, or they could say no, I don't believe in this Jesus and denounce their faith, which was something that Paul was trying to get them to do, and probably I would assume that the opportunity that came up for them to turn in someone else that's another believer in Christ. Saul's going to want to make his life easy. He's not going to want to go from door to door. If I know specific doors to go to, I want to go that route. I assume that's probably what Saul did when he's trying to uh, persecute Christian. And as a result of his going from door to door, it says the early church scattered. It was dispersed as, those, as in sowing throughout, as dis, uh, distributing to a foreign land. And what makes this, thank you, and what makes this persecution uh, so great was it, it was kind of fulfilling what scripture says. You know, if you look here at this little star, you have it placed with where they're at right now is in Jerusalem. And they're all there and they are supposed to be going Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's where it stopped. We're, we're witnessing in Jerusalem. We're doing what we're supposed to do here. But it doesn't look like anybody's going anywhere else. And because of that persecution, they were willing to spread out a little bit to go to uh, uh, Judea, which is below where Jerusalem is located, and then up to Samaria. And because of this persecution, they were scattered throughout the earth. And I can't prove this, but in my mind, trying to look at the background of the story or think through this, I would, I would wager that God put it on the hearts of some of those people that, hey, I would like you to move. I don't want you to just stay in Jerusalem. I would like you to go to Judea. I'd like you to go to Samaria. I'd like you to go somewhere else and be a missionary and tell people about me. But everybody was so comfortable in their own homes. They were, they, had, they were comfortable in their church with every believer that's already here. They, were, they had their family and friends around. People had stability, a stable way of life. I have my job. I have my, my neighbors. I have my comfort zone. And so I bet a lot of people said, I'm going to stay here. God can send somebody else. I'm going to stay here. But God knew how to motivate the early church. He knew how to move them from one place to another. Well, guess what? God knows how to motivate churches today. He knows how to motivate Plumna Baptist Church, the E-Free Church, the, all the mega churches, every church around the world. God knows what it's going to take to motivate them to do something else. 
you know, one church might be motivated to start a kids program because through through the grapevine, they start hearing about the troubled kids in the neighborhood. So after school, they say, we're going to create a place for kids to come. And or we're going to start in a water program or something else that's going to give kids something to do to stay out of trouble. Now, had they never heard that, they probably wouldn't have seen the need and started to do that. Another church might be moved to uh, to get online to start a because of COVID. They might start developing social media. All of a sudden they have their YouTube program. All of a sudden they have a radio program. But it might motivate people in the church to start taking tabs, taking care of each other. You know, throughout the week, I don't see people, so I don't know who's sick and I don't know why people are gone. It might motivate people to start looking out for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Another church, probably happening, this is probably more of a real life example than we think, um, might be starting a food pantry or a shelter because of an influx of refugees coming into their community. They say all of a sudden there are a lot of people that are in need and instead of saying, no, we're going to just stay in our church, they say, how can we reach these people? And God can use that as the catalyst to move them to, to be missionaries to the world around them. But God knows how to move you individually as well. Uh, this is one thing that just thrills me to death about what came out of COVID. Uh, in Davenport, they didn't have sports for about a year and a half, way longer than we didn't have sports. And you know, kids, they need something to do all year round, right? You get bored going to school and going home. Well, because there was no sports, the youth group started to grow. Because there was no sports, the workers in Awana became so many that there's like almost way too many kids that want to help in Awana because they need something to do. And those kids never would have come into the church to help in Awana had it not been for COVID. Had it not been for everything else being stopped, they never would have come. And I just pray that right now in Davenport, as life is getting back to normal, that those kids say, hey, I still want to help in Awana. Hey, I still want to go to youth group. Hey, I still want to be involved in these church events. So something good came out of this in someone's life because God worked in their life specifically. God knows how to work in relationships. You know, there's a boy and a girl who are getting too cozy, too comfortable. God might say, you know what? I know how to stop that. I might motivate this to stop by making one person move, by making the other person, making both parties move. It might be an address change. God, God motivated me to change my address. You know, it was 419 Maxwell, Davenport, Washington. Now it's 311 North 1st Street, Plevna, Montana. God motivated me. He says, uh, through a friend, he, he got me the information about this church. And it was a church that... We, we liked and it was enough to say, okay, I'm going to move like seven or 800 miles away from my family because God says, I want you to be here. He motivated us to change our address. And God can and will do whatever it takes to move you. The question is, do you want to take the easy road? Because I bet a lot of those people had heard the easy road. Hey, go to these places. That's the easy way. God just putting it on your heart and mind and saying, go. But they waited for the hard road. When God had to eliminate something, he had to give them persecution to finally kick them out the door. God knows how to move. It's just a matter of, are you willing to move with the easy road? So point number one, persecution moved the church. They weren't moving on their own. God says, here, let me help you. I'm going to move you because you won't choose to move yourself. But persecution also grew the church. 
It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Pretty exciting, you know. I bet that was a pretty difficult thing to do. It took, in order for this church to grow, in order for this church to get out there, it took people having the courage to share. Now imagine, imagine them, they're going to a new town, they're going to a new surrounding, there's new people, they're on somebody else's turf. That's a scary place to be. Even if you're just moving, I'm sure to be a teacher at school was kind of scary on somebody else's turf. Coming as a, a pastor to this town, it wasn't my turf. I didn't grow up here my whole life. It's uncomfortable. And now all of a sudden, they're being forced. They don't have a job. They don't have a house. They don't have anything. And they're, they're being pushed into a new surrounding. It took the courage to share, uh, for them to share. But it also took... Something else that they probably didn't plan or think about was they were prepared before this point. They had been faithfully going to church. They had been faithfully listening to the apostles' teaching and to fellowshipping with each other and breaking bread together. So they were, they were getting trained and prepped for this without even realizing it. But the fact is... That, had, that they were prepared. No, had they just never gone to church and said, oh, every Christian get out of town, they would have left, but they would have went there and been like, okay, well, I guess I'll get my job at McDonald's and I'll send my kids to that school and it's no big deal. But they were prepared because they had spent time with God and with his people. But it also took taking advantage of or creating opportunities. You know, through casual conversation, Jesus could have been brought up pretty easily. You know, what brings you to Samaria? You know, Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. What brings you here? Um, actually, it's Jesus that brings me here. As a Christian there, it's getting persecuted. And, and they, could, they, they had to take opportunity through casual conversation to share about Jesus. But they also could have created opportunities. They could have just walked up to neighbors and started telling them, Hey, my name is Josh. I just came from uh, Jerusalem, and I'm new to this town, and here's why I left. Can I tell you about it? It took a lot for these people to go somewhere else and start telling people about Jesus. And I look at these people, and if I put myself in their shoes, I just think, that is pretty amazing. I applaud them. I appreciate them. Because that is not something typically that a lot of people want to do. All the while, Saul is going from door to door. And we're going to read in a couple weeks about how he's going from synagogue to synagogue, trying to get a hold of these people. And they didn't stop. They kept speaking about Jesus. They kept living Jesus. They kept sharing Jesus. And the church kept growing. All the while, Saul is nipping at their heels. He, everywhere they're going, he's going because he wants to stop this. So what about the church today? What would the church look like today if that kind of persecution started happening? I've always heard this quote that persecution grows the church. It's not a fun way to grow the church, but it's a way that God uses to grow the church. And so I started looking about some statistics and I found out that Iran is a country that's greatly persecuted. It's one of the top 10 hardest hit countries in the world where persecution is the greatest. And last year that a 19.6 growth in Christianity during the persecution. I should have looked up what America's is. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not 19.6%. 19 .6%. And so there, and there's numerous examples of where these countries are persecuted the most is where the, the growth starts to happen the fastest. 
in my, in my uh, research on this, I came across an interesting story that, that reminds me very much about what the, uh, the people did when they left the different, when they left uh, Jerusalem and they spread out and the gospel started spreading. I think you're going to see the similarity that I, that I came up with. And here's just a, a little reading or a quote that somebody said. It says, years ago, I remember hearing about a Chinese effort to extinguish Christianity in China. Not by killing them and making them martyrs. They knew better, better than that, so they decided to spread them all across China. And as far away from one another as possible. They reasoned that they wouldn't be able to associate with other Christians, and it would even eventually die out. But this backfired. By sending those believers all across China, they had seeded the gospel of Jesus Christ by means of those who had been sent away. By trying to stamp out the church, they just spread it across the entire continent. And that's what persecution does. This early church, they're, they're away from each other. They're away from other believers. And how easy would it be to just keep quiet? You know, normally when people flee a situation, they don't start doing exactly what it was that made them leave that situation because they want to stay here. I just want to forget my past. I just want to focus on my future and get settled back in. But that's not what those early Christians did. That's not what these believers in China did. They said, I'm still going to go and tell about Jesus. But how, how many of us, if it was to happen in America today, which it's, it won't be exactly the same, it, but if we were the main church in America and all of America, we didn't know anybody was saved out there. There were no churches out there. And we started, I got dumped off in California. Uh, you know, Daryl and Sharon went to Florida. Darren and Nicole went to Ohio, you know, we just started picking these people of our church and putting them in places that would be pretty discouraging, right? Don't you think? I feel like I'm the only believer. I don't know who else is around. It would be very tempting to just say, okay, well, I got my family and I'm just going to be happy with their faith. But, you know, it'd be easy to cry the blues, to, to feel self-pity, to wallow in and that. But the early church, this church in China said, we are still going to share and spread our faith. How many of us would be prepared to tell people about Jesus with the Bible? No, you're going to take your Bible with you or without a Bible. The, they, the people who persecute us and send us to the other places send you with a bag of clothes and that's it. How many of us would be prepared to tell anybody anything about Jesus? Hopefully all of us would be willing to. You know, at some point we as Christians are going to face persecution. Maybe it's going to be living in this little town of Plevna that's a very, very safe place compared to the rest of the world. Maybe we're, we're going to move, you know, and we're going to end up facing persecution there. Somebody's going to burn down our church and then scatter us across America. At some point, we are going to face persecution. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter if you're athletic and everybody appreciates that. If you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you are going to face persecution. Some people are going to face death. Some people are going to face harassment. Some people are going to face a loss of family and friends or of jobs. But you're going to face some kind of persecution. Peter mentions it in 1 Peter 4.12 and, and about facing persecution. Don't be surprised as if something stranger is happening to you. You know, we look and say, oh no, persecution, I don't like this, I don't want this. But it really should be something that's a part of our life. If we are 
at least at some point in our life, right? Maybe not now, but at some point in our life, if we're living for Jesus, we're going to face persecution. And we should say, that's true. I should expect that. It's not fun to go through, but I should understand that's part of it. You know, everybody is motivated by something. Whether it is your job, whether it is my, my, my love and my selfishness for this girl that I think is the cutest thing since any girl I've ever seen that I hope to, to marry. Whether it's fear, uh, whether it's fame or fortune, everybody's motivated by something. And I just want to encourage you, you know, the, the early church, when they were motivated by persecution, the church moved. They went where they were supposed to go, but they also took Jesus with them. So I want to encourage you, move when God asks you to move, but make sure you take Jesus with you and you share Jesus with every opportunity that you have. Uh, Leslie's going to sing a song for us here in just a couple of minutes that we're going to close with. Uh, then I'll pray and then we will be dismissed. But I just, I just want to encourage you, move when God asks you to move and take Jesus with you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again for the apostles. I thank you, God, for the testimony that they had, that they did not let fear or discomfort or pain or self-pity stop them, God. But they said we are going to move because we have to move, but we're going to take you with us. And God, I just pray for each of us here as we go to school, as we go to work, as we go to family reunions, wherever we go, God, that we would move because you've asked us to move and we take you with us. Give us the courage and the boldness that we need to do that. And I pray this in Jesus' name.